Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I'm your host, Harry Pavan, and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Dr. Gans Ferentz. Dr. Gans is a registered psychologist, a speaker, and a coach who is on a mission to provide practical, user-friendly, and down-to-earth advice, tools, and education that can help people manage their stress and build healthier relationships. Dr. Gans was such a blast to have on, and I really want to thank him again for coming on and having this discussion with me. Also, if you watch Survivor, fair warning, this is a spoiler alert, but the winner of Survivor 42, Marianne, went to high school with her, incredible person, I'm I'm so proud of her, so Marianne, no one deserves it more, huge congrats, the, honestly, I'm just blown away, I, I, I you're really putting Whippy on the map, Sinclair on the map, represent... Um, I'm so happy for you. Like, seriously, huge congrats. No one deserves it more. And if you guys don't know who Marianne is, you better figure it out, okay? She's on this trajectory to stardom, so hop on the bandwagon now. Now, before we get into the episode today, guys, you know the drill. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars if you're on that podcast platform, share with someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one, and I can't wait for you to listen. I'll talk to you all very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. to go. Dr. Gans, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. Of course. So my first question for you, what, what got you started? Like what, what inspired you to become a psychologist in the first place? Oh boy. Well, like so many people in the field, <laughs> I had to figure out what was going on with me and my family and how I grew up. Right. And it's like, okay, so I, I, I had some, you know, rough parts of my upbringing and my parents weren't always as functional and as healthy as they could be. And so, you know, it wasn't always easy and trying to figure out, okay, well, there's gotta be a better way. What kinds of things, what, what, are, what, what do I need to know that's gonna help me have a better life for myself, but also create a different sort of legacy for if I have kids and I actually have two kids now, right? So, you know, wanting to be a better parent, but also wanting to have better relationships with people around me and also with uh, my spouse. But then there was also another part of me that really, I just, I kind of want to see how good we can have it. Right. And so this whole positive psychology, human potential thing was really, really interesting to me. Um, the idea that, you know, we've all heard the stories of, you know, the mother whose kid gets trapped under car, she lifts the car and you know what I mean? Pulls out the kids like, well, okay, how does that work? And like, how, how do we, how do we tap into that? How do we, or at least closer to that instead of always having to struggle and having a hard, hard time in our day-to-day lives. And so that, that whole piece of what, what, how good can we have it and what are the best practices of happy, healthy, successful, high-functioning people? If I can figure that out, practice those things, but then also why not share them? Why not share them with other people so they can also be happy, healthy, and high-functioning and productive too, right? And so that's, that's, that's why I got into it, and that's kind of been... Um, my strategy and my philosophy throughout the 30 plus years of being in the psychology field. And now in the coaching and the speaking field, this is what I like to talk about. I like to help people see and, and like to help people kind of get, get switched on with that whole, that whole idea and see how good they can have it. Right. Yeah. Why, why do you, why do you think that whole side of potential isn't as untapped, isn't as tapped, sorry, as like we would yeah. prefer it to be? 
Yeah, that's a good, great question. I think um, one of the greatest things I find about humanity is we are easy to adapt. We, we're adaptable, right? We can adapt to a lot of different places, environments. That's why we're living all over the world, right? We talked about me living in Edmonton with the snow today, right? <laughs> we can adapt to a lot of stuff. But that's also, to, to some extent, one of our greatest downfalls is that we can adapt to negative stuff. So we've all heard, or some of us have lived, the story of when you're like living close to a busy road or an airport or a train, train, train track or, uh, you know, subway or whatever. After a while, you don't actually hear or notice the traffic, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the problem is that although our brains or that part of our brains have adapted to hearing that, we just kind of block it out. Physiologically, they can test you and they can see that, you know, no, your blood pressure goes up, your immune system is lower, right? You're, you have all the indicators of physiological stress, even if you don't, you never even heard it, you never like paid attention to it. And I think this is one of the things I think we habituate as humans to kind of crappy you know, situations. We say, well, you know, it's like, oh, everybody around me is complaining and they're miserable. So why should I be any different? I guess this is how it is. Okay. And we carry on. And we don't really have that idea that, oh, wait a second. I wonder if this could be better. Right. Um, I, I, my students, they kind of get sick of me saying this, but I, I, I say, you know, you always want to ask yourself, is this working for me? Is this working for me? And, and by that question, it, it, it is like the, the self-awareness question, right? Am I, is this actually good? Does this work for me? Does this make me happy? Does this get me what I want? This way of thinking, this pair of shoes, this relationship, this job, is it getting me what I want? As opposed to just sort of settling and kind of going along and never really asking the question. And so I think this is one of the reasons that we do get stuck, just kind of like muddling through when it could be so much better with just a few little tweaks, we could have we could have a very different experience. Right. That 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 questions it, it's been programmed that it's such a selfish question. Like <laughs> I remember growing up and like being in high school, you'd have the odd person that goes, Oh, okay, that doesn't I don't want to do that. That doesn't mm -hmm. serve me. And everyone's like, check out the douche over here. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, it was just such a taboo thing. Right. Who's the princess? Well, thank you, your royalty, your, your highness, right? You know, yeah, yeah. You got to just be the way everybody else is, right? But no, you don't. That's the truth. And and I get it. And and unfortunately, our, our junior high, elementary and high school experience kind of sets us up to not be as functional as we could be as, as adults, right? But the truth is, everybody has to walk their own path. And it's, just because somebody else it works for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you you know um i i i think about it just in terms of ice cream flavors do you know what i mean like right. so i don't know what the most popular flavor is but you know chocolate strawberry i don't know vanilla right but let's say i like pistachio right okay so like if i go and i want pistachio no, no, you should like chocolate. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I don't. <laughs> I just like, I, I like pistachio. No, but chocolate's what everybody likes. But yeah, good. If you like chocolate, have chocolate. I want pistachio, right? And it's not really selfish. Well, it's not selfish at all. It's self-affirming, right? right? It's, it's you know, one of my friends calls it selfful, selfful, right? Mm. And, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where when we are 
walking the path that we decide, we lay out for ourselves, we understand is unique and correct for us, we actually have fuel, right? My, one of my kids is a, a lifeguard, well, well, trained as a lifeguard, didn't actually work at it. But um, one of the things, one of the first things I teach you is how to stay alive as a lifeguard. You have to, <laughs> you can't drown while you're trying to save somebody who's drowning, otherwise you'll never save anybody again. Right. And so, you know, is it selfish that the lifeguard has to stay alive in the presence of somebody else drowning? I mean, it gets to the point where if you're in the ocean and something's really bad and they're like grabbing onto you and trying to pull you down, you got to kind of knock them out, right? Yeah. To make sure you stay alive because then at least you have a chance to pull them out and, re and resuscitate them. Or when we go on the airplane and the, you know, I used to think this, right? When you're traveling, if you're traveling with small kids or somebody who needs help and the masks come down, make sure you put your own mask on first. Oh my goodness. That's so selfish. Right. But it only makes sense because if you pass out, then you're both dead. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I get, I get where that comes from, but it's, it, it's, it's just a faulty way of thinking that we've just adopted. Yeah. D do you know where that faulty thinking came from? <laughs> sure <laughs> well buckle up um Let's well go. you know what it, you know what it is <laughs> so it's whether you, whether you go whether you consider yourself religious or not our our western culture is really very strongly um influenced by the judeo-christian ethic right so it's the it's the whole protestant work ethic especially in in north america here this idea that there's value in struggle. Um, hard work is its own reward. Um, you know, when you're suffering, your reward is in the next life. Do you know what I mean? And the harder you suffer here, the more reward you get up there. This, and, and even if you never went to church, this is sort of built into the air. Do you know what I mean? And so we, we kind of have that belief because we see everybody else having that belief. And that's how we grew up. And that's how we learn our values. We just, we kind of catch them by whatever we're around. And so unless you're around some really enlightened, you know, kind of free thinking people, you're going to pick up this way of approaching life because everybody else is doing it. And because everybody else is doing it, you figure, okay, well, the bigger, older people with more money, people who are in charge, they're all doing this, or at least they say they're doing this. So I guess this is the way we got to think and we got to be, right? And, and that's why, you know, for me, I like people to really challenge that. And it's like, well, is there virtue in suffering, right? I used to hear my, my, my parents always say, like, you know, eat your vegetables because there's starving people in, in Africa or Asia or whatever. It's like, yeah. if you want to pack up my vegetables and send them to them, like, that's, that's okay. Because <laughs> I don't know how my eating the vegetables is going to help that person over there who's starving, right? And I, I know the whole thing is about no be thankful, but my suffering here doesn't help somebody across the world to feel better, right? I just get to suffer. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of faulty ways that we've been taught to think or we've caught to think, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's not only okay, it's very wise to start to challenge these things, especially once we're adults. Right. On the other side of that, or on the same side of that coin, I, I had a conversation with a, a psychologist, Melissa, and she was talking about how, you know, it, it can be dangerous if you start comparing your trauma, your suffering, your misery to to the same idea. Like, oh, there's people starving in a different country, so I right. shouldn't feel bad about my divorce or something. Right. 
<laughs> right, right. No, exactly, exactly right. It's like, yeah, it's like, no, pistachio is better than chocolate. No, it's like they're just different, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you, you can't compare suffering. We don't want to get into the, you know, who's most downtrodden Olympics, right? And, and you know, your, your, your own disappointment or hard time that you're having is significant to you just like somebody else's hard time is significant to them sometimes we can get context you mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah. because some of us can you know get a little bit like entitled and whatever and feel like oh no everything should go my way and my life should just be bunnies and unicorns all the time and stuff like right. that right and so so getting some context is not bad but but she's actually 100 right you can't say, well, my, I shouldn't feel bad because there are people who were born without legs or do, do you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. yes, that is true. That's hard for them. And this is hard for me. Right. Yeah. Now, now you said you work with students. How, how old are they? Well, it, well, my coaching students, my, yeah, so like, so not in a school. So it's more like, you know, my coaching clients is a, that's, oh, that's right. what I meant by the students. Yeah. How, how old are so. they? Yeah. So, so basically, you know, anybody who's an adult, basically. So I work with people who sometimes I work with younger people like teens, but, but generally it's you know, people in their you know twenties and up to like 60, 70. I've had, I've had people anywhere in that range who, you know, the general idea is they want to have a better life and they want to do better and, and, you know, manage your life in a more, I would say deliberate and um, proactive way. And those are the people that I love to work with and they seem to love to work with me too. So, right. Yeah. Now, now when you, when you first start working with them, what, what's their initial reaction to like all of this saying like, yeah, you can go against the grain that you've grown up with for so long. Well, you know, there is humans, excuse me, humans. Um, we prioritize familiarity mm -hmm. even over optimization, right? So even if we're suffering, but it's familiar suffering, it's, we're, we're used to that. We know the rules of that game, right? And so getting into a better place, getting into a place that's functional and serving you better, even though we can intellectually know it, it's unfamiliar to us, right? And, and so we can feel a little weird. It can feel just, oh, this doesn't feel right. And then we sort of attribute, oh, no, it's bad because I'm being selfish or I'm, I'm, I shouldn't do this or I'm going to go to hell or something no one's going to like me or whatever right mm -hmm. but it's really just a change it's just doing things that's out of procedure so here's something that everybody can try so i'd like you to you to try it too okay sure. so just take take your time and just you know naturally cross your arms okay so go ahead and do that all right so you didn't have a lot of problems doing that right it's easy to do cross. Mm -hmm. done it thousands of times okay now cross your arms the other way Oh, I, I don't like doing, I don't even know how to like, where do you even right. put your hand? What is this? Right. Okay. It, it feels weird. Correct. Right. Okay. Is it morally wrong? No, definitely not. No, it's just different, but it feels so weird. It stirs up your body. It's like, you don't know where to put your hands. How do I, how do I get to that place that takes you way longer to do it? Right. And so when, when, when I work with people, this is one of the first things we do is understand that when you change a well-worn procedure, a well-practiced procedure, it is going to feel wrong. It is going to feel weird, right? Um, there's actually, in education, there's, there's four levels of learning or four levels of knowledge. 
And so the bottom level is what they call the incompetent, unconscious incompetent, right? Mm -hmm. So you're unconscious about how incompetent you are. You don't know what you don't know, right? The next level up is, oh, wait a second, there's other stuff that I can do. You become conscious. So you're a conscious incompetence. So you don't know what you're doing, but at least you're conscious of it now, right? The, ne the next level up is the conscious competent. Okay, I know how to drive stick. I need to put the clutch in. I need to shift. I need to put the gas in. And so you think your way through the, 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 the process or whatever you're learning. And then the highest level is the unconscious competent. And what that is, is I'm shifting, I'm driving. I don't even remember shifting. I'm just doing as natural as like breathing, right? And I'm doing that. I didn't, I drove to where I needed to go. And I didn't even remember shifting. And I was eating a sandwich while I was doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so that's, that's the thing. But every new skill, you've got to go through those, those stages. And when, you know, crossing your arms the way you're used to crossing them, you're a conscious you're an unconscious competent at doing that, right? Crossing your arms in the way that you're not used to. <laughs> well, you're a conscious, no, you're a, you're a conscious competent at doing that, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Man, so how, what are like the first processes to get people to get to that top of the, the board that you were talking about? Like, how, how do they get from not knowing what they don't know to knowing what they know or knowing what they don't know and just moving forward after that like is there a certain process that you follow well yeah i mean the depending on where they want to go and what they want to do you know the idea is that you you want to identify what is not working for you right mm -hmm. um and once you identify what's not working for you then let's figure out some some things that would work better and sometimes you know i got to say this Sometimes things work, but they're not optimal, right? They'll work, but they're not, they don't work as well as something else could work, right? And having the mindset of, okay, it's not, it's, it's not just good enough for me to get by. Let me see how I can optimize. And that's, that's even that is a sort of a different mindset that people can develop, right? This, uh, this idea of proactivity. So once they have that idea that, okay, things can be better, and it's not just, I, I can look for things to be not just better than, you know, than I've ever done them, what is the best they can actually be? How can, how can I get to be really, really proficient at, you know, managing my emotions or speaking to my spouse or my kids or whatever, whatever their thing is. And then once they do that and they say, okay, well, let's, this is the skill we can work on. Now you can, you know, once you have the idea that this is something that works, now you put it into practice. So you can make the decision, but now you got to put it into practice. So it's just as easy to cross your arms the other way as it is to cross your arms in that, the, the natural way, the, the way you're used to, right? Right, yeah. Um, and, and so you work at that, but then you also work on the mindset. You work on managing the anxiety that comes up when you change your procedure. Mm -hmm. One of the things, so I've, I've, I've been... I've had my own psychologist and my own coaches for the last about 30 years too. Like, so about as long as I've been in the field, I've had my own, I'm on the other end of the couch, so to speak. Right. And, and so one of, one of the things my psychologist told me about was practicing to do things out of procedure. So sometimes I'll walk at two thirds, my normal pace, right? Even now I'm speaking at about two thirds my normal pace, just to get 
a sense of what that's like. Or, you know, I usually put my pants on right leg, left leg. So every now and then I'll put on left leg, right leg, right? I'll just do things that are just meaningless out of procedure and allow myself to feel the, ugh, ugh, this is weird, right? So I can get used to what it feels like when I break a procedure. So then when I break something that has a little more emotional loading to it, it's no big deal. I'm used to, I'm used to the weirdness, right? And, I, I, and it stops me from then ascribing oh no, this is morally wrong, or this is not the way dad did it, or whatever other, you know, head games am I played with myself. Right, because that, that's the biggest thing when you're going through change is that that whole, oh, I, I don't like this at all. And it like, for me, it sometimes it would turn me back. I'd be like, you know what? I'm good, actually. I'll just mm -hmm. go back to that relationship that doesn't serve me at all. <laughs> right, it's not worth, it's not worth the discomfort. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, and I tell people we have, we get change back messages, right? We get change back messages from the environment, but we also have change back messages from internally, right? And the truth is, well, the analogy I, I use is like a spider web. If you, if you can pull one of the strands of the spider web out of position, the whole web distorts, right? But there's mm -hmm. pressure on that one point that as soon as you let go of it, it's gonna snap back into position, right? And then this is what happens when we change a procedure. We're, we're pulling the spider web of all the people we're connected with, all the, the routines we have, all that stuff. We're pulling everything out of position. But if we were able to hold that web out of position long enough, the spider would come along and do its thing and you know, like repair the web and that would be the new position of the web, right? And then you can let go and you'll be there. And that's, that's what it is. If we can hold that position long enough, we can practice it usually with support. I mean, that's, that's why I've been having my own coaches and therapists for that long. When we have the support and we can hold that position long enough, we start to accommodate that. It starts to become the new position. And now everybody in our world knows us in this new way and we know ourselves in this new way. And so it's a lot easier to stick with it. And we don't just kind of bounce back into that other thing that really wasn't working for us. Right. I love that. Yeah. Do, do you have any, um, cause you, you've obviously worked with a wide array of people, um, mm -hmm. throughout your work. Is, is there any like major success story that you have that you, you just are super proud of? <laughs> well, me, right. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> I, I, well, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the things that I'm very proud of is that I, when I was younger, I was, I just was, I had terrible, terrible performance anxiety used to get sick at tests and I couldn't raise my hand in, in class. I'm talking about university. I'm not even talking about in grade school. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember I took a, a, a speech class. I, I really wanted to, to beat this. I took a speech class when I was in grade 11 and I had to end up dropping it because the first speech came about and I had, you know, there were six people in the class. And I had to give a speech and I was throwing up. I had diarrhea. It's like, I don't, Oh no, I can't do this. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I stopped. And now I'm doing this, right? right and, you right. know, and I, I, I do public speaking, I do media. And, you know, so I know that therapy and coaching and, and, and changing habits is possible and it works, right? But I've also had, you know, clients that I've seen for just a number of years or even for a short period of time who change the way they relate to their spouse, right? How they talk to their kids, um, you know, just even understanding that, it is a wise and responsible thing to put your own mask on first, just even having that clarity in their minds and that knowing that it's, it's okay to ask, is this working for me? And then make whatever adjustments you need to make 
to make sure it does work for you. Those, those are my biggest success stories. I just, I love when, when we can do that, I can do that. I can be witness to that and help somebody get there. Yeah, no, that's amazing, man. I, I actually, I feel pretty similar about the school thing. Like, cause I think it was in elementary school. I answered a question and the teacher was just like, that is so wrong. You dummy. And since oh, then no. it was like, no way I'm ever asking a question again. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. Jeez. That was a crappy teacher boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I mean, this isn't related at all, but like uh, my French teacher in grade nine, she was like, do you know how to do long division? And I was always bad at math. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I was like, no, I, I don't. And I didn't care to learn. And mm-hmm. she like, she was like, you don't know. And she was like, guys, guess what? Harry doesn't know how to do long division. No. And I was oh, like, this, no. I was like, this is French class. It was right. like one of the first weeks of French in high school. It was grade nine. And oh, she had no. me, she had me come up to the board and she wrote a long division problem. I couldn't do it. It was something easy, I think, but yeah, it scarred me. I was like, well, I'm never, course. I'm never speaking again. Oh my goodness. Oh, this, this is a horrible Harry. This is terrible. Yeah. But this, this is the thing. I mean, it's these, these intense kind of negative experiences, especially when you're young, have such a, a powerful effect on us, even when we go into adulthood, Right. And unless we do something with those experiences and, and kind of put them in the right context and understand, okay, no, this was not about you, Harry. This teacher was crappy. This was right. just, just awful, right? Shouldn't have been a teacher, right? Because that was abusive. That was really what that was, right? Even even the elementary school, like, oh, that's so wrong. That's that's abusive. That's, that's not what teachers are supposed to do, right? But we also know that just like there are good and bad plumbers or doctors or whatever, they're good and bad teachers. Right? Oh, yeah. And you just happened to run into a couple of them. I, I ran into a few myself. We can trade war stories. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's, yeah. But uh, people with that kind of power should be much more mindful about, you know, how they treat people because they, they can really scar people for real. I hope all those teachers are listening. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they do penance, right? <laughs> yeah, take that. Um, yeah. <laughs> moving on a little bit. Uh, with something... Uh, another topic that I really wanted to get into was burnout. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's this big elephant in the room called the pandemic that's been going on for the last two years. Now mm-hmm. in your, in your work, how have you noticed, has there been a shift in terms of increased cases of burnout or stress with your clients and the people you work with? A hundred percent. So not so much like the folks that I work with, the folks that have been working with me for a while, they, they honestly have come through this fairly well. They, you know, a little bit of a dip, but because they were in the process of connecting with somebody and working with somebody, it didn't hit them like for the majority of them very hard at all. Right. Mm -hmm. They, um, one of the things I, I tell people is the best defense is a good offense. If you're working on your life and you're, you know, kind of trying to move ahead generally, you're more in you're inoculated from stress better you're more defended from these things that come up in the environment and stuff like that right so so those folks were doing okay but i did see a huge uptick in pretty much every negative measure i mean there are higher rates of you know attempted suicides higher rates of completed suicides higher rates of depression alcohol drug abuse spousal abuse child abuse, like every everything that you can imagine got worse during the pandemic right because when you stress somebody or you stress a population, the things that were kind of either kind of being managed or hidden now start to pop to the surface, right? And people, if they don't have coping skills, 
they don't haven't they you know the 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 either they don't have the resources or the supports or whatever they're going to have to try to make ends meet some way they they got to try to figure out how to manage this and a lot of times it's managed in a dysfunctional way you know um the pandemic in general was it's really weird it's really weird because on one hand we were having a hard time but on the other hand we still had netflix and you know uber eats and you know that sort of thing right like right. so it was this thing that was happening but we had the creature comforts but we didn't you know it's just weird and then one of the first things we look at when people are in stress is what are your social supports how connected are you with people and because of the pandemic you couldn't right mm -hmm. so the very thing that would help you get through it is the very thing that you couldn't do because it was dangerous and so this it was a very very difficult time and, and really still is a difficult time for a lot of people because of all that isolation because of the uncertainty and uncertainty is one of those things that uh, is extremely difficult for humans to deal with right because we like to know we like to have some control we, we like to know what's coming and it, that the, the whole pandemic just shook everything upside down and so it was an extremely stressful and still is like i said an extremely stressful event in our personal history but in human history and and yeah so lots of people are feeling that sense of burnout and by the way we're already ramping up with burnout before the pandemic like mm. this was partially because we've we're, we're having better conversations about it a few years before the pandemic the world health organization actually recognized burnout as a specific illness that happens with people and so it's you know it's now um a compensatable illness and you know it's got some status so to speak right so it was already happening and then we hit the pandemic right and so you have that on top of what we already knew was happening you know so yeah it's uh, there was a severe uptick once we had uh, um had this this uh covid thing show up in our lives now was the burnout ramping up before the pandemic was that mostly caused because of the fact that we just never talked about it or it was like frowned upon to just take breaks from work or what was it well yeah so there are lots of factors um we even leading up to the pandemic there was a lot of kind of global unsettling in like politically and with all sorts of other stuff that was happening right mm -hmm. but if you go back a couple decades the whole like um technology boom when we went to the information age you're too young but <laughs> Back then in the 80s and 90s, <laughs> we went into the information age. The promise was that life was going to get easier. It was going to make give us more time with, with our families. You're going to, you know, this whole paperless society and all this other stuff. It didn't really work out that way, right? It actually got busier and, and we have more stuff. And then, you know, before you used to be, if you were like, say, a first responder, you'd be on call you get paid to be on call, you'd have to kind of be sort of ready and they call you out, they pay you extra, right? With the advent of smartphones and social media, you're basically on call to everybody all the time and you're not getting paid for it, right? Because right. your alerts are going off all the time and there's this, you know, this feeling that there's this etiquette you have to respond or look or I got to be up on the news or whatever. So you can just kind of see the ramping up, the notching up of our anxiety because all this information coming to us i'm old enough to remember that if i wanted information i'd have to go down and buy a newspaper i'd have to tune into the news or 
something, looking in encyclopedia, one of those old things, right? Um, <laughs> now our goal, our, our job is not to look and seek information. Our, our job is to filter the information that's coming at us and bombarding us all the time. But technology has advanced so quickly, our society's understanding and our sort of social conventions and mores that we'd normally have haven't evolved as fast. And so the technology is ramping up and we can't figure out what, what, what do we do with it? I mean, it's a cool new thing. Should I just engage? You know, how many likes do I get? I got to be on, you know, whatever, right? And all that adds to your stress. There, there are a number of studies that have shown that with kids in particular, and the same holds true for adults, um, the more screen time you have, the more anxious you become, the more depressed you become, the more sort of like bullying and antisocial you become. All that stuff is undone when you turn off the, the screens and you go out in nature. Nature undoes all of that stuff. Mm. In addition to that, they've done these studies where there's, they use functional MRI. So they're looking at your brain and in real time. And so when you're using some of these like uh, platforms and some of the equipment, some of the physical equipment like smartphones, the, the parts of your brain that light up are the same parts that light up when you're on heroin, right? So your brain has the same kind of response, same kind of addictive response, same kind of endorphin and uh, dopamine response that you do when you're using really hard drugs. So there's all of these factors combined with workers or um, employers expecting more work with less time with fewer staff. And you know what I mean? So there's, there's all this, these societal forces that are kind of adding stress to us that um, really do help to drive that, that curve of mental health issues and burnout and, and things like that. It was um, a, quite a few years ago now, the percentage of workplace injuries that were compensated by insurance companies changed from physical injuries to emotional injuries. So mm -hmm. they, they crossed that. So we have more emotional injuries in the workplace now, like you know, burnout and anxiety, depression, alcoholism, whatever it is, um, than we do physical injuries now, right? So it's it has been wrapping up for a while and like i said then you throw <laughs> let's throw the pandemic on top of that just for good measure right yeah. so yeah it's like throwing a mento in a coke bottle <laughs> that's right <laughs> it is it is interesting though like uh the whole how your brain reacts the same to heroin as it does when you're on your phone because when you get off your phone if you've been on it for a while you can feel it you you feel mm -hmm. the come down mm -hmm. it's so strange it's weird. Like last night I was, uh, I was with my son and we we're watching, we we're watching some basketball, right? The playoffs are on yep. and my phone was running out of, uh, running out of juice. Right. And he had the charger by him. So can you just charge my phone? Just, just plug it in. And I'm like, you know, oh, what, where's my phone? What, what? And it's like, I'm not a big phone guy. I, I like, I know this stuff and I, I try to really manage it, but I'm like, I felt weird. It felt, it's like crossing your arms the wrong way. Where's my phone? That's oh, let me, let me look up my, Oh, wait, I can't. Where's where right? And it was just this weird feeling of, of not being connected. And and so yeah, it's it's a real, real phenomenon. And it doesn't mean that it has to be a chemical thing that we're addicted to. We can we can be addicted to a process or, you know, in this case, a piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. The other problem is that like you mentioned already that sometimes you know, when, when there's trauma or there's something catastrophic that happens, we go towards our social circle. And then in the pandemic, we didn't, we weren't able to, 
Mm-hmm. Well, with the phone, you were kind of able to, not in a great right. way, but you were kind of able to. So now that we're right. out of it, quote unquote, who knows? But now mm-hmm. that we're out of it, we're still almost dependent on that social circle as opposed to going out and seeing people. Yeah, in real time. Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. Um, and this is one of the things that, you know, this is sort of the, I guess the undoing or the, you know, deprogramming that we all have to go through as as things start to change is how do we reestablish, you know, actual social connections? Because with social media, it it's really good to stay in like surface contact with people, especially around the world. It's, it's brilliant for that, right? Um, it's just during this time, we're more broadly connected than we've ever been in human history, but we're also less deeply connected than we've been in human history. And that was before the pandemic, right? So now the pandemic, like you said, we couldn't. So this, we had to rely on the, on the social media and, and the technology to do it. And so it is really going to be that that idea of, in a sense, being very deliberate and conscious about stepping back out to connect with real humans in real time, as opposed to sitting back with the comfort of our phones or our computers and thinking that that's going to fill our needs. This is then this is part of the problem. Well, look, with any drug, drugs feel good, right? But mm-hmm. they also do a lot of other damage that don't feel as good as living a good life. And so it can feel good to have that momentary hit of, well, I connected with so-and-so or I know what's going on with this other person over here, but it doesn't fill you the same way. But if you think you are filled, but you still have that hole, <laughs> then, then this is where you get that angst happening. It's like, oh, I don't know, I feel irritable and I don't know what's wrong with me or I can't sleep and eh, right. And you have all these weird symptoms that you don't really associate with kind of what you're doing in your life but this is exactly where this is coming from right how can people kind of get to that point of getting out of the phone out of the surface value into more meaningful conversation because we mentioned it time and time again in this episode is like once you identify the problem and you're starting to do that work it gets very uncomfortable and it gets very it doesn't feel normal. And after two years of, you know, oh, mm-hmm. I, I'll text them, I'll, I'll DM them, I'll, I'll shoot, I'll send them a TikTok, I don't know, whatever right. everybody's doing. But it, it's, it's going to feel really weird. It is going to feel weird. And, and, you know, you have to just understand that. And this is, I'm not a big subscriber of this, to this particular saying, but in this case, it makes sense. No pain, no gain, right? Mm. No pain, no gain. So look at it's going to be weird and it's going to feel gross for a while and it's better for you on the other side. Right. Uh, I think of it, uh, well, any changes like this is two, two analogies that work for me is like spring cleaning. So when I'm spring cleaning, my house is probably all right. It's okay. You know what I mean? Not too ashamed to have people come over, but when I'm done, it's awesome. It's clean. It feels clean. I'm very happy. But if somebody shows up in the middle, <laughs> right, <laughs> when a place is all ripped apart, it's gonna be it's gross, right? It's got the curtains down, I'm sweaty, you know, I'm finding the dust bunnies behind the couch, right? It's it's it looks gross. And but you can't get to that higher level unless you go through the middle. And the middle is where the chaos is, right? And where right. it feels uncomfortable. But if you know the goal and you understand that it's temporary, it's just really putting one foot in front of the other and getting going, right? So that's one analogy I use. The other one that works for me is, is the baby learning to walk, right? So majority of us have figured this out, okay? So we're walking, right? 
But when we were starting, this is how it went. <clears throat> you'd crawl around, you'd maybe hold on to a piece of furniture, you'd be unstable, you'd look and there's something over on the other side of the room you want to get to and you take a step or two and then you're boom, you're on your butt, right? Now, if the baby was like an adult, they'd be down there and say, oh, I guess this walking thing is not working. Okay, <laughs> I'll just go back to crawling. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they're not. They're like, okay, I understand. I'm just going to get up, take a few more steps, boom, I'm on my butt. Get up, take a few more steps, boom, I'm on my butt. After a while, I walk more than I fall, right? But I still fall. I fell this winter <laughs> a few times, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fortunately, I did not say, I guess the walking thing didn't actually take after 50 years, right? It's like, <laughs> no, no, I just fell. No big deal. Get up, keep going, right? So it's the same sort of thing. So, so when you want to get out and, and you understand that it's actually healthier for you to connect with real live people, to build that muscle again, um, and that muscle is going to build a lot faster because you already built it before, right? But yeah, at first, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel gross. It's going to feel uncomfortable. You're not going to know what to do with your hands, right? Not going to right. know how to make small talk. Um, but you just, it's okay. Just work with it. You'll, it'll come back to you. And you actually get better at it than you were before. But you won't if you don't try, right? If you don't try, you can guarantee that you won't get better. And that's just something that we have to remember. Put in the time. Most habits they say on average to change a habit, to create a better habit takes about 66 days, depending on what the habit is. I, you know, I like to say, you know, it's, it's, you know, I overshoot it. So I say, I give myself six months. Mm -hmm. So if I say, you know, give me six months to build this habit back. It's okay. If I screw up a little bit, I, you know, I'm a little awkward or I chicken out sometimes or whatever, no big deal. Cause I'm building a habit. I don't, it's not a goal that I have to hit. It's not a target. I'm just building a habit. And Every time I do it, I get a little bit better. When I screw up, I learn from it and I try again the next time. Just, you know, the baby learning to walk. That's, that's the approach we need to have to any change we want to make. Right. I love that because when we, when we were actually getting it reintroduced to people and going back in person, I felt that I felt like oh, yeah. a baby learning how to walk, <laughs> especially when the masks came off because oh, yeah. your mask's on, you can talk to yourself, you can kind of make facial expressions. No one knows what mm -hmm. the heck you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then, because I'm a swim coach, so sometimes kids will say oh, yeah. something and I'm just mouthing like, what the hell are they talking about, <laughs> right? But then when they come off, they can see it. And so- Oh no, you can't see that, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's such a weird transition and it, it feels so uncomfortable, yes. but it, it it's obviously worth it. Oh yeah, totally, totally. I, I went out, I, I met somebody for lunch of, uh, a, a little while ago and it's like, I forgot, like I'm, I'm wearing pants again. And like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, and it's like, all right. And uh, how do I, like, do we shake hands? Do we hug? Do we bump? What do we do? Like, how do we do this? Right. And I like, literally I had to think my way through the small talk and it's like, oh yeah. Okay. All right. And, but yeah, whatever. Everybody's in the same boat. We're all kind of like disabled in that way for now but it's a temporary thing right we're gonna get better at it yeah i think that's the one beautiful thing is that it's not just a, a handful of us that are going <laughs> through it it's like everyone when they get into that social circle they're like i don't know what i'm doing yeah yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna own it yeah i'm gonna be weird for a while just you know whatever yeah <laughs> we'll figure it's it out Especially yeah. if you've been, because this happened to me as well is um, like, I've obviously met a ton of people with this platform and it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing, but I met someone that was on that, on my show. I met them in person for the first time and 
we had been going back and forth for almost a year and a half and I mm -hmm. get, I see her in person and I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I'm like, <laughs> are you real? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, wait, where's the, where's the screen? Yeah, I know. You just like, can you put a box around you? Yeah. <laughs> so I feel more comfortable. <laughs> oh, it's true. It's true. It's just like, you know, like you see somebody, you know, in a certain context, you see them in a totally different context. It's like, you don't recognize them. It's like, what? Like what? I was, <laughs> I went, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to donate blood, right? And it was the, the 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 station was down at the university, and my 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 oldest child uh, was at the university, and and she was with her friends, and you know they were in the restaurant. I walked by because I was meeting a friend of mine at a restaurant next door, and she's like, like just confused because like it's like what what's what's going on? And like what are you doing here? I just like you're. You you live at home, like you don't live at the university. This is my space, right? <laughs> so it's just it was just this weird thing, right? But yeah, this is this is the the joy of life. This is you know, and if you can laugh at yourself, you just you know, it's okay. Don't take yourself too seriously, and you know, we'll we'll all get better at it. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I, I want I wanted to talk about uh your new program, uh, Monday Money Mind DNA. What is it, and like what what inspired you to create it? Well, so it's, it's, it's myself as a partnership with two other uh, gentlemen, right? So um, one, my, our DNA guy is Dr. Mikhail Rajik, and he's a DNA um, specialist. He's a geneticist. And so he, he is all about looking after your health generally. So just so many really cool advances with DNA and DNA testing. So with his part of things, what he does, he can help parents if they're you know wanting to conceive know kind of what the risks are ahead of time mm. but not just with the pregnancy you can actually figure out what are your risks for something coming up in the future and you know kind of plan for that and a lot of times if you know that there's a tendency towards something if you change your behavior you actually may never actually show up with that that tendency it may never actually manifest right mm. but you can also set up your finances to plan for stuff you can get insurances in place and different things like that but the really cool part for me is that with genetic testing now, you can really dial in your medication. So really, really good with cancer medication to figure out what, what your particular body is going to respond to if you need to take cancer medication or heart and you know cardiovascular medication, but also with like psychoactive uh, medication, like the antidepressants, anti-anxieties and what, you know, this, they've dialed it in so well that they can tell you. No, this one might actually be toxic for you. This one you need to take, you know, double the dose that's recommended because you tend to um, process it through your body faster. This one would work really well for you. Like you really dial it in. So it's just fascinating information that he presents. And then um, our, other, our other partner is uh, Charlie Fatal. And, um, and what he does, he's a, he's a money expert. He's a financial advisor. And he helps people. Like if you know that you have a tendency towards something, maybe you get some insurance and, you know, it can help people understand that whole world of finances and, you know, understanding how to make finances work for you. How, you know, what, what does investment look like? A lot of people think you got to have a million bucks to get in there a hundred thousand or whatever. No, 10 bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. But you need to know what you're doing and, and all the different terms. What is a TFSA and what is a, you know, a sheltered account and all of these different things. And so, you know, what we know, what I know from the psychology world is that money is the number one cause of stress in individuals' lives. 
And it's also the number one cause of stress and tension in couples. And so when you can have that money discussion, you reduce your stress, you reduce your, you know, the, just the anxiety and everything you have that's negative for your mental health. And then, you know, we know that stress causes problems with your physical health. And so we wanted to give a nice package where you get, you deal with your financial health, you deal with your physical, physical health, and then you work with your emotional well-being, your mental health, and, and, you know, the mindset that it takes to put all that stuff together. And so we came together to do these educational programs and we're targeting businesses, right? Businesses and, and business leaders, because we know that when, when like a happy workforce is a productive workforce, when, when, when you're, when your people are happy, they know that the company cares about them enough to educate them on, you know, what is going to help them move forward and have a better life for them and their families you have lower turnover, you have, you know, fewer injuries actually happen. Um, you actually have more loyalty to the company and higher productivity. So it's, it's a really, really good investment for companies to do that. So our free events, people come in and, and they're open to the public as well. It doesn't, you don't have to be a business owner or manager to, to, to attend, but you come to the free event, you learn about the, the basics of what we do. You meet all three of us, get a sense of who we are. And if you want to go further, we have a six-week program that you can actually purchase. And we work with you for six weeks to help you get go deeper with that. And then after that, we also have some more concierge-type services that people can, can look into for um, their own benefit or the benefit of their, their employees if they have a, have a business. And so that's, that's kind of what we do. It's interesting because you hear about programs with all three individually or with the DNA and the mental separately from the financial, but you just explained it. There's such a big link between all three that needs to be addressed. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's one-stop shop, right? And so it's really convenient. But, you know, when you understand the linkages, then you can understand how everything works synergistically together, right? And and the nice thing is all of this and and you know, especially my part being coming from the world of psychology, people tend to think of this as something that's reactive, right? Like, well, you got a problem, you go see a shrink, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully they don't tell you you're not sane or whatever, right? Um, so there are a lot of misconceptions, but really what it is, is this, this, all this stuff is proactive. It's about how good can you stand it? Let's get in early, let's prevent some stuff, let's figure out some things and let's, let's set you up for success as opposed to seeing you as broken and trying to fix you, right? We don't want to fix you from being broken. We want to enhance your life to see how, let's see how far we can go, right? And we know that the earlier you get in and the more proactive you are, the better the investment, right? You spend less time, you spend less money and everything works out better. You get more bang for your buck when you're, when you're proactive than if you're reactive. Right. Yeah. That, that, well, that's the other idea, right? Is you have to be reactive with mental health stuff is, oh, you can only go get therapy when you're down in the dumps. It's kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning where it's like, you need to struggle and then succeed. Right. You can't just right out of the gate, feel comfortable with what you have or feel good with what you have. You have to struggle right. first. It's yeah, the same yeah. thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a flip in the mindset, right? It's like, no, no. And, and even if you're struggling, it's okay. That's just your starting point. Let's see how good you can get it. Right. So it's, it's okay. Right. We can always, we can all do better. And that's, that's where it is. It's about enhancing your life as opposed to fixing something that we think might be broken. Right. There's nothing's broken. We all struggle. Not, no, nobody gets out unscathed. Right. So we all have stuff that we could work on and be better. So right. that's the way I see it. 
I love it. Where where can my viewers find you and the program and all of your work? So so mind money DNA, uh, mindmoneydna.com, I think it is. <laughs> it might be in the notes they set you, um, is is where people can find out more about uh, our program. For me, it's askdrgans.com. Um, so ask D-R-G-A-N-Z, since we're in Canada, uh, .com. Um, and you can go there and um, yeah, there's my website. You can check out a whole bunch of stuff. And if you're really interested, I have a, a, a whole free set of like, uh, I've got 12 stress busting strategies that you can sign up for that are free. No, no, you know, no uh, commitment necessary, but that's at askdrgansvip.com. So it's askdrgansvip.com and people can get in there and it's, it's really the nuts and bolts stuff that help you manage stress, set yourself up for more success. And if you stick around with the program, you can actually, there's an Ask Dr. Gans kind of little program we're running where you can submit questions. And every week I pick a question, I answer it and you get answers to really some really cool stuff. Um, it's a nice way to stay connected uh, in a proactive way with, with some of this material. I love it. I'll put those links down below. Before we let you go, Dr. Gans, first of all, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's awesome to be able to talk to you and your listeners. Absolutely. Now, before we let you go, uh, I just, if you had anything to say to someone who may be listening, who is definitely feeling the effects of burnout or stress or mm -hmm. depression or anything, maybe before the pandemic, but then after is feeling them to an excruciating level, like what would, what would be one thing that you'd want them to hear right now? Go get help. Don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone and you're not alone. Like I, I have, like I said, I've been, I've seen my own psychologist. I got coaches. I got, I got a whole team <laughs> keeping me together. Okay. So it's not weakness to go get help. It's actually strength to seek out people who can help us. The, the most brilliant heart surgeon would be an idiot to try to operate on his or herself, right? right. Not because they don't have the skill. They don't have the objectivity. And this is the truth. We don't have the objectivity into our own selves because we're in the middle of ourselves. We need somebody else that can help us. You can't save yourself from drowning. This whole idea of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps defies physics, okay? It doesn't <laughs> happen. <laughs> so you don't have to do it alone. You can and should seek out help. The other thing I would say, when you're seeking out help, seek out help early, okay? Don't wait till you're bleeding from the eyes, right? Two, shop around. Not everybody is the same. Not everybody is pistachio ice cream, right? Not, you know, you're not going to connect with everybody the same way. It doesn't mean they're bad or you're bad. It just means you're not, there might not be a good connection. And working with somebody at a coaching level or at a therapy level is a very somewhat intimate, you know, connection. You need to be able to feel comfortable. You need to feel safe. You need to be able to trust them. And just because somebody has a degree or works with a certain population, doesn't mean they're right for you. Again, going back to that question, is this working for me? It might not work for you and that's okay. Keep shopping, right? Make sure there's a good fit. And then once you connect with somebody, then you can kind of dig in and, and uh, get the work done that you need to do. But the earlier you go, the, the, the easier it is. <laughs> the less damage you have to endure and you know, just uh, the, the more, more, um, more bang for the buck you get. Right, I love it. Mic drop, boom. All my listeners, I will see you guys next time. Bye, everybody.